Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hello, crazy birds. I hope you guys are doing super, super fantastic. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to be here today with you guys. Not only have we got a really awesome guest, which I am going to introduce in a bit, But there has been so much that's been going on and I would love to share a few things with you guys. First of all, zerowastemariska.com. That is the website, the new website that's more focused on my zero waste movement and my journey and also some of the work that I've been doing with zero waste. So be super excited to actually hear what you guys think about the site I will also have the blog on that site. So if you ever need any more tips or tricks or anything, you can head over to that. And also the YouTube channel. How cool is that? I know I have been trying to get that sorted for some time. And again, Zero Waste Mariska. I am going to link this in the show notes as well so that you guys can go there and click and select on that. So I am going to provide you guys with some really cool zero waste tips and tricks on video form, on YouTube, aiming to do it weekly. And for that, I would really love and appreciate your guidance as well to let me know what is there something specific that you guys want to hear about, specific topic that you want me to cover. Is there maybe a DIY recipe, you know, is do you want to see more of my trash to treasure art pieces, like how you can actually, instead of buying stuff this Christmas for the family, actually do your own little DIY stuff. So let me know. I would really love to hear from you guys. And as always, if there's anything that also on this podcast that you guys want to know more about, um, please do let me know. I really, really love the feedback that you guys have been giving so far. And it's always great to kind of grow the community as well. That is the little bit of an update that I had. Today's guest, like, oh my goodness, guys, Zero Waste Living is quite quite a cool guest that I had on here today. And she is actually the author of a book titled Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way, The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. She's also the founder of Zero Waste in DC to focus on the application of zero waste strategies that have a real and sustainable impact with a goal of reaching as wide of an audience as possible. She provides keynote presentations, learning events, and individual household consultations. With her 25-year career at the International Finance Corporation, the private sector arm of the World Bank Group, she served as a director of International Finance Corporations Climate's business department, where she led global teams to find innovative solutions to climate change. 
During this episode, we looked at the importance of recycling right, what is driving the zero waste movement, and how our choices actually impact the climate and waste crisis. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Stephanie Miller. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mariska. It's great to be with you today. You are absolutely welcome. It's awesome to actually been chatting to you. You've been doing some amazing stuff and geez, you've got like quite the sustainable journey and I'm going to start right there and like, how did your journey actually start? Yeah, so it's in a few parts, but but basically I some of my earliest memories were of walking with my grandmother in the neighborhood and her picking up trash. And so I somehow had an association in my own mind that I was an environmentalist from a young age. I got to do some interesting things along the way that confirmed that for me. And I would say I reached the peak of my career. Uh, I had a 25-year career at the International Finance Corporation the peak was when I got to be leader, the, the director of climate change for that organization, the private sector part of the World Bank. So that was great. It was a heady experience. It was great to get uh, to support government and private sector trying to get on a more sustainable path. And I feel very lucky to have had those opportunities. But I would come home at night really tired and realized that I was not doing much in my own life to live sustainably. And so it was not till I left that 25-year career a couple of years ago that I took a gap year, took some time off, and did some research on what I could do to get my own environmental footprint in order. And I did quite a bit of research but the very first thing I did in my kind of aha moment is that I went into my dry cleaners, had always been bothered by all the plastic that I was bringing home with my clean clothes, walked in and asked would you to the clerk, would you mind putting my clean clothes into my reusable garment bag instead of in the plastic? And to my surprise, this was actually not a big deal. Of course, she wanted to keep her long time happy. And then after a few weeks, I got up the nerve just to ask if they would be willing to adopt a reusable bag program for their other clients. And they did. And today, I'll just cut that story short, they have a third of their customers that use these reusable bags. So I set off on a journey uh, to try to figure it out for myself and then essentially felt I nailed it for myself and then wanted to get the word out to others. So that's kind of the part two of my sustainable sustainability journey started just a couple years ago with with zero waste. Oh, wow. I love that. And when we were still living in Dubai, we had our dry cleaners also coming to pick up ironing and dry cleaning. And I also started, you know, giving them the bags. And in the beginning, they were like, why? Why would you want to use this? Like, we give you clean bags every time. And I was like, no, it's plastic. (laughs) And, you know, I'm trying to avoid. And yeah, so it's great that you actually like, you know, went that step further to really, really make them change as well. And I think that's something that we sometimes feel like we can't make a difference. But, you know, just by you introducing that has made such an impact on, you know, I can't can't even imagine how many plastic bags they've actually saved with a third of the people now opting for reusable. So good on you. That's an amazing journey. 
Well, it was a small thing, but it felt like it felt important to me. And it made me realize there's a lot more I could be doing and a lot more businesses could be doing and, and their clients as well. So that was the exciting part. Even for crazy birds, you know, sometimes you feel it is something small, but you know, that small thing can have a ripple effect and can lead to so many other changes as well. So it's really, really important. And you are also talking on your website about the magic three items. And I absolutely love that because it kind of breaks stuff down to make it more like bite size, more like easy to get to and target things. Um, so can you tell us more about what this magic tree is? Yeah. So I, I, when I took this time off from my career and started doing research, I realized that part of the reason, and I think so many of us that start on zero waste, you know, realize once we do it, that it's not that hard, but we we are paralyzed before we start because it feels overwhelming. I love B. Johnson's book. I know you've had her on your show and Catherine Kellogg. They have done so much for the movement, but it can be daunting to try to make your own shampoo uh, or make your own cleaning uh, products at first, especially if you're really busy. So the magic three for me, it's three things, focus on food, purge plastics, recycle right, are about exactly what you said, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks and helping people realize they don't have to do everything to actually make a really big difference. These three that I found worked for me meet two tests for me. And I say they, they, they're at the intersection of ease and impact. So I picked these three things because I knew that when I went back to a busy career, these are things I could take with me. I could continue to do even when I was really busy. And it's very exciting to realize with my climate change career what the intersection is between climate change and zero waste. Obviously, the less we consume, the less energy we're producing, less greenhouse gas emissions. And so trying to nail it, trying to figure out what are those things that we as individuals can tackle that will get at the waste and the climate crisis, that those, these twin crises. I think we, we have to feel empowered that we can do something as individuals. So the magic three to me is about capturing how people can feel empowered. Oh, definitely. I love that. And I am going to link up those three as well, because you've got like, you know, almost like 10 points under each one. Obviously, we can't go through every single one. Um, <laughs> we'll probably be chatting for hours. So I'm going to link it up for you guys as well. So it's easy for you to to look at. But yeah, the recycling rights, I just want to come back to that as well. Because, you know, a lot of times when you talk to people and they're like, oh, I use a plastic bottle because, you know, I recycle it. It's okay. And then I'm like, you know, there's such a fine line between recycling, right? And wish cycling, because we all wish everything could have been recycled. But the hard truth is that not everything can be recycled. So if you think you're buying something with the thought that, you know, it's okay, I put it in my recycle bin and you don't even know what happens to it, but some way you're kind of giving yourself a pat on the back and be like, it's okay, mate. Yeah, for me, it's like really, really good that you touch on the recycling right, because that's something that we all need to understand. And I mean, what I can recycle here 
in Perth, Australia, it's not everything that you could maybe recycle where you are in DC or, you know, you guys might be doing more or less. Or, so we need to kind of also find out what it is that you can recycle where you are. Yeah. I put recycling last on my list, just like reduce, reuse, recycle, recycles last on that hierarchy as well. Focus on food is first because we can have so much impact through the food we don't waste by composting our food and by adopting a more plant-based diet. But absolutely, I put recycling on the list. Recycle right is the third one on my magic three list because it is important. It's not Recycling is never going to be the be-all, end-all solution to the waste crisis. We must reduce what we're consuming, but it is really important to get it right. And as you said, the rules are going to be different where you are in Australia, where I am in Washington, D.C., and in the U.S. I live across the street from another state. I live across the street from Maryland, and they have different recycling rules. Wow. But it's, I find it's important to get it right because, first of all, we have that we're risking contaminating, and I think this is equally true anywhere in, in Australia or here, if we put the wrong things in, there can be pretty big consequences to that. We could kind of ruin the whole bin with something that doesn't belong there. You can think about food as a contaminant, but there's also just wrong things placed in the bin can set off a whole series of issues. For example, the plastic bag in the U.S., I don't know any system in the U.S. that will take the plastic bag and not see it as a nuisance in the residential recycling program. And that is because these thin plastic bags get caught up in the machinery as they're sorting at these materials recycling facilities. And that can cause injury in the worst case, and it can really slow down the entire recycling process and create huge inefficiency as well. So it's important we get it right. I don't think we have to. Unfortunately, the industry has put so much burden on the consumer to get it right. For now, that's true. I can mention something very exciting I read this morning that might change that. But while it's still in our hands as consumers, we should at least get to know the basic rules in our municipality so that we're not doing exactly what you said, wish cycling you know, putting something in there just in the hopes it will be recycled. I mean, a lot of the like more harder plastic, so like, you know, your shampoo bottles and soda bottles and all of those have got these numbers at the bottom. And a lot of people always ask me like, is that the number of times that I can actually <laughs> reuse it afterwards? And I'm like, whoa, mm. no, that that's like part of this raisin identification code. So yeah, like why is it important for like our crazy birds out there to actually know the difference between their raisin codes that they can identify which is which? Well, first of all, it's sad that you and I have to be even familiar <laughs> with the term resin identification code, but because it's really something that was created for the industry, uh, sort of industry to industry to speak to each other about what the basic makeup of the plastic is. And there are codes for plastic that range from one to seven. And, and this is the number we see inside the chasing arrows, you know, kind of triangle. And as you said, actually we don't see it on every piece of plastic, but much of the solid plastic has it. 
And the, the, the kind of cheat sheet that I, or the way I think about it is whenever you see a one or a two, that is plastic that has a pretty good market in most areas. You know, the stuff that uh, I think Australia too, but certainly the U.S. was sending to China, that was all the junk, all the plastic that was not really easily recyclable. But plastic is not infinitely recyclable. It's not recyclable seven, six, five, four times. It is at most recyclable two to three times, and then it, the polymers start to break down. But that one and two code, you can be pretty sure that plastic will have another life. It will find a market for someone will collect the ones and twos, the plastic bottle, water bottles and soda bottles and turn it into something else. The others, honestly, it's a crapshoot. Whether three, four, five, six, seven ever end up getting recycled will depend so much on the market that day. If there's anyone who wants to take it off the recycling facility's hands. So it's not the solution. We need to come up with alternatives. I wanted to tell you what's really exciting I read this morning is that California is close to passing a piece of legislation that would actually make it illegal for manufacturers of these plastics to put that resin identification code on their products, on their packaging, if it's not actually recyclable. And what they mean by that is if there's an actual market or not, that it will actually be turned into something else. That's very exciting because California is ahead of all of us, right? In so many, in so many respects. And we could just import all of their legislation. We'd be in decent shape. But if this gets passed, it helps drop the confusion that so many of us trying to do the right thing have as we're hovering over the recycle bin, trying to figure out what to do. Oh, I love that. That That's amazing. Well done to California. And yeah, they are definitely leading the way in so many ways. And I know, especially dealing with precious plastic for some time now as well, like every time they see a specific plastic, that's hard, that's a beautiful color that they would like to use. And now they're like, oh, I don't know which number it is. So with which of our plastics do we mix it? So it really, it's, it is really such a pain if it does not have identification. And, you know, most probably it's then just a whole bunch of mixed stuff that is really not great in the first case. So, yeah, let's try and focus on that refusal before we focus on the recycling. And our crazy birds actually can't see you because they've got you in their ears. But I can actually see an amazing zero waste living book right beside like behind you. So yeah, that's one of the books that you've published. So it's Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way, The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. What inspired you to actually write that book? So, you know, I talked about this time I took a year to do research and try to figure out how to tackle my own waste and carbon footprints. And I had it all together. I just had put together a website. I was about to launch my organization to try to help people see, you know, what they could do, the things I wish I'd known a few years ago. And I was about to do all this. I had started giving talks in my community and a publisher I know heard me give a zero waste talk and asked me last summer to write a book about what I talked about, which is essentially you don't have to get 100% of the way there. It's actually impossible to get to zero waste. I talk about the 80-20 way. It's just this concept that if we focus on the actions 
the 20% of actions that are most impactful, those magic three we talked about, we could get 80% of the way there. And I wrote the book because I wanted to empower busy people to feel like they could take this on as well. That's what inspired me. I wasn't planning to write a book last summer, but it just kind of fell into my lap. And it was such a great opportunity to get the word out there that that was the goal of my organization in any case was to get the word out there. So what better way to do it than through a short book? Oh, that's amazing. So if our crazy birds have that book in their hands, like kind of what can they expect to see in there? Is there some recipes? Is there, you've got your top three items, the magic three? (laughs) Well, first of all, they can expect a quick read. I wrote it last summer under a crazy deadline and uh, it was out within three months. So it's a short book. It's 80 pages. It it can be read in, in a few hours. It's not an exhaustive list of everything that we can do to go zero waste. It's not that. It is a focus on those three areas, focus on food and just a few actions that could be taken there to make a really big difference. Same with purging plastic, same with recycling right. And I hope they can expect to have some of the joy that I have found along the way, because some of this stuff really sparks conversations in the community, sparks conversations with your friends and family. I dedicate the last chapter of the book to actually, you mentioned at the beginning, the ripple effect, this idea that what we do as individuals is so important, not just because of the impact it has or doesn't have, but because of the behaviors and signals we are sending off to our fellow citizens, whether it's I'm walking into my my restaurant for takeout, bringing my own containers, and people notice that and they say, oh, I've heard people say this. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you know, so setting your own trends that people observe or posting it on social media as you do, as I do, to kind of normalize the behavior and show people Here's something I'm very comfortable, I've gotten very comfortable doing. It's really not that hard. That can have a profound impact on changing the lives of all the people that we touch. Exactly. I love that. And, you know, it is like you say that for a lot of people can feel very overwhelmed. And I felt like that when I started my journey, you know, it's kind of, you have this aha moment and you feel like, oh my goodness, like, the world is coming to an end. I need to do everything because otherwise, you know, we're not going to survive. And then you start making your own nut milk and you start (laughs) making your own shampoo and you do all of these things. And then the end of the night, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Like I can't do anything anymore. And that's when you kind of decide like, you know, okay, let's, let's start slowly. Let's pick a few things and take it from there. Let's not do everything at once. Cause you know, it can be overwhelming. And I find a lot of people will then just quit before they actually start. And that's not really what we want. We want them to continue this journey. Yes. I, I think that's so true. And I, I found from my, uh, my, my career and when I was leading climate change in the organization that if you lead with positivity and you don't try to be perfectionistic about things, you can. this was true whether we were pushing out a green buildings program to our clients or an energy efficiency program in general, those are the things that hold people's attention. I don't have to be perfect 
to get a long way there. And I think it's so true for the zero waste movement and anything we can do to not shame people, but to help them see there is another way of living life. It's actually not very painful. Uh, and you don't have to make your own shampoo to feel good about what you're doing. That's the message I, I think is really important for us to get out. And it also doesn't have to cost a fortune. Like living zero waste has actually saved us so much. People think you have to buy all of these expensive things. Otherwise, you're not zero waste. Like, no, you can just yeah. use whatever you have. That's the most sustainable option at the moment. <laughs> yes, I, I, I will admit that when I first read B. Johnson's Zero Waste Home, which was my first zero waste book, I was so inspired. And I did go out and I bought a few of the Le Parfait jars. Oh, yeah. And you think you need to sort of have all the the accessories that go with zero waste. And I realized pretty quickly, I didn't really need to buy anything new. That's a message I think we need to send out there more and more so people don't think, oh, yes, it's some expensive lifestyle. Exactly. And I mean, we are definitely seeing a lot more interest in the zero waste movement. From your perspective, what do you think is actually driving this increase in interest? If we just take the last few months, because I think it's a, a cumulative thing, we're seeing so much in the news that is making us anxious. The eco-anxiety that I, when I talk to my friends who are not climate change oriented the way I've been for many years, even they are saying to me, what can I do, Stephanie? I think people are, it's touching people's lives. They're seeing the extreme weather events, whether it's the wildfires, the droughts, the hurricanes, you know, the last Hurricane Ida in the U.S. was devastating. And they want to know, is there anything I can do? Or do I have to feel powerless as government decides to act or not act. And I firmly believe that there are three actors who need to focus and make a difference, and they are government, private sector, but also the individual. So I think the reason that this stuff is taking off now is that people are searching for ways to feel that they can influence the trajectory. They're hearing the news that we the climate report came out. We know we have a decade or less to get it right. So I, I think that's driving people to ask themselves, what can I do? Oh, I love that. And I mean, we are definitely seeing more companies, you know, jumping on board, big companies trying to embrace this. And I think a lot of them got scared a little and shaking in their boots, seeing all of these small little boutique stores and things all around the world popping up, offering package-free items, offering sustainable stuff. And now they're like, oh, we're losing out on this massive chunk in the market. So we either adapt and give these people what they want, or we are going to be losing more and more people. So in a way, that's great that you've got big, big players um, jumping aboard. I do try to support as much as I can still these small companies that was, you know, leading it from the start. But it's it's really amazing to see how even that has grown now that, you know, you can go to your local supermarket and you can actually get a bamboo toothbrush. You don't have to go to a yeah. specialized <laughs> store. So it makes it easier for people when they are standing there and, you know, or even doing their online shopping that they can select a little bit more eco stuff as well. So we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but like an individual making some zero waste choices. 
What impact do you think has that on like climate change and also the waste crisis? I think it's uh, the question all of us have asked ourselves. Can our actions make a difference? And the answer is yes. And again, I feel for two reasons. The actual impact your decisions make and some actions are more impactful than others. And secondly, the messaging that it sends if you choose to message what you're doing to others. So let me take the example of food waste. I worked in climate change and I had no idea. This was a big aha moment for me when I understood not only that food waste in landfills is responsible for 8% of greenhouse gas emissions because of the methane that is created when food ends up in the landfill and isn't exposed to oxygen as it rots. So that was that was really interesting that how impactful that is. But even more interesting to me, and I know you know this, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do as well, but I did not know that the individual, it's at the household level where most of the problem exists in developed countries like Australia, like the US, like Canada, not true in all countries, but in the developed richer countries, we at the household level are the single biggest driver of that food waste problem. More than hotels, more than restaurants, more than farm losses, more than transportation. That is not good, but it's also what it also means to answer your question on can individuals make a difference? Oh my goodness, on the food waste issue, we can make such a difference. If we reduce our food waste, and so much of it is unnecessary, it's not the banana peels, right? It's the it's the food you took home from the restaurant that I took home from the restaurant and and forgot to eat because it ended up in the back of my refrigerator, there is a lot we can do about that simple, simple thing. So when you realize the areas where individuals actually make a difference and you focus on those, then you can really be comforted by the fact that your efforts are making a difference. And again, if you take it a step further and tell people what you're doing, then you have the potential to really go beyond just your own impact. I love that. And I mean, a lot of people sometimes look at food waste and be like, oh, really? Like, is this really going to have an impact? Like, you know, I throw away three banana peels every week and that's kind of my contribution. Is that really so bad? Or if I'm doing that, is that going to make such a difference? Like, you know, I'll rather not do anything than do little. And then that just reminds me so much of like, you know, the African proverb of the hummingbird story where, you know, this poor little small hummingbird is trying to put out a fire with massive fire. Um, and, you know, everyone's just looking at at this hummingbird and like, you're so small, like, are you really making a difference? And he just looked at them and said, well, I'm doing the best that I can. And I think that's the thing that we also need to kind of remember that whatever you can do, do that. You know, you don't necessarily have to go to Coca-Cola and like, you know, have a one-on-one with the CEO. If you can, please do that. But, you know, no one is expecting of you to do everything or to do the most important thing. But, you know, if you just do what it is that you can and take it from there, you know, it's it has an impact. Absolutely. And that's what I always say. If you're in a community where residential composting is available, then you have certain options. If you're in a community where there's zero waste stores nearby, you have some options. Take advantage of those. But if you're in a community where those don't exist, 
those services and those stores, then you just do the best you can. And that's all any of us can can do. But let's at least do that. Exactly. So you are actually the founder of Zero Waste DC. Would you tell our crazy bits a little bit more about what exactly that is? Yeah, so I launched the organization right after I wrote the book. As I said, I stalled it a little bit to write the book last summer. But essentially, it's my realization that if I had these aha moments and I was, you know, immersed in climate change, as I said, I didn't know about food waste. I didn't know where I could make the biggest difference. I realized, you know, what can I do? I can try to get the word out. And my organization is about trying to get the word out to try to help people feel empowered by the actions that they can take. The way I do that is through learning events, workshops, zero waste uh, recycling workshops, talking about it to communities, whether it's an apartment, a, a series, a bunch of residents in an apartment complex or a company that's trying to be more sustainable and trying to tell their employees that they're green, or to universities. I've, I've given talks and learning events at, at a few uh, universities in this area. And I think that people are hungry to hear what they can do for the reasons we talked about before, the eco-anxiety. People want to turn that into something positive. And so that's the goal of the organization, to do, to do more, to let people know what they can do. I love that. So you do like a lot of speaking engagements as well, and also consultations for individuals as well as organizations. And can you share a little bit more about, you know, maybe some some of the stuff that you have done that you know, our crazy birds can get a better idea of what it is? Yes. Well, your crazy birds might be interested since we were talking about recycling I don't think recycling is the solution. It's not the solution to our waste crisis, but it has to be part of the solution. I always give the example, if you don't think recycling makes a difference, then remember that the aluminum can ends up back on the shelf after you put it in, at least in the U.S., into the bin for recycling 60 days later. That's how efficient the process is. And when you melt down that aluminum can for recycling, as opposed to having to mine the metal, uh, you save 95% of the energy, 95% of the energy. So it's not insignificant. So I say that because one of the learning events that I offer is a a zero waste recycling workshop. What I believe is that since everyone I know is thinking about recycling every single day, maybe they're doing it right, maybe they're doing it wrong, but because they're already thinking about it, I find it's a really great gateway to consciousness about sustainable packaging, opportunities to reduce. So it's not just about recycling. So I offer a workshop where people can ask their questions. I walk through some of the markets for the materials that we put in our recycle bins. But then we have an opportunity to launch off from that and to say, well, if you are getting all your Coca-Cola in a plastic bottle, there's an alternative to that. Aluminum cans is a more sustainable way to go. Or if you're finding you're using a lot of yogurt containers and plastic, there are options that are more sustainable, less sustainable in terms of packaging. So I find that using recycling as a gateway to learning about other options, other more sustainable ideas is a great way to start because of the fact that people are already 
they're already thinking about recycling in their daily life. Yeah, that that's so true. And I mean, like, I always encourage people, like, when you want to start the zero waste movement or, you know, your journey, kind of start with your bin and do a bin audit, look exactly what is it that you put in there and then identify your top five items and then work your way down and try and find solutions. And before you know it, you are going to look at what is a better option. What can you do? You know, that's quite, quite amazing. I absolutely love that. Again, this idea of leading with positivity is so crucial. I had a, a dear friend of mine when I was leading climate change say to me, Stephanie, you're, you say you care about climate change, but you're not a vegetarian. Who are you to talk about this? And I think that when we shame people, I didn't change my eating habits. I did change my eating habits, but not because of what she said. I changed my eating habits later when I realized you know, that is one of the most impactful things I could do. Yes, I, I actually knew that. And I started putting some attention into making it fun. I have a vegetarian cook-along I do on my Instagram every week. So I think if we lead with positivity and we show people how this can be a joyful thing, that to me is what sparks interest and electricity that gets passed on. That's what I believe in. I love that. And it's definitely something that we all can take a page from that book and make some of our own own choices based around that as well. So Stephanie, what has been one of your most important decisions that you would say you've made around Mama Earth? I think the most important decision I made was to talk about it. And it's one thing to have figured out for myself what I could do in my life. And it's another thing to feel brave enough, courageous enough to, first of all, ask the questions that might get a no. You know, at the deli, will you put this sliced turkey in my own container? I did that two days ago. You always risk, unless you're at a small boutique, you always risk the chance of someone saying no, and nobody wants to be told no. So I feel good about asking some of the right questions, like at the dry cleaners at the deli, but then also taking the extra step and talking about it with people. That's what I feel is making the biggest difference at the moment. Yeah, that's amazing. I have sometimes when they say you can't use your own container, then I'm just like, well, what do you have? And if they only have plastic, then I'm like, I'm allergic to plastic. So I'm so sorry that I can't have it. So I'll Good have for to you. buy somewhere That's else. Great. Good so for yeah, you. then they do do think twice about not allowing you, but most of the times they they are fine. If a place really, really continues, then I'm just like, okay, like I'm voting with my money. So you're not seeing that today. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. You know, when I, I sometimes forget my containers, we all do, right? And I when I do, I actually say to them, because I know this one store has paper bags. I know they have them, but they almost always forget to put them out. So I sort of make it a point if they don't have them out, oh, I'll wait, you know, I'll wait a few minutes for you to go get them because I know they have them and then they bring them out and I make sure there's a big enough stack, not just for me, but for whoever comes after me to see that that's an option for them, not just the plastic bins. Exactly. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. So we are now going to move into our final five. First one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? That's easy. Zero Waste Chef, Anne-Marie Bonneau, who I realized is a, you've also interviewed, and she's terrific. I interviewed her for my book. Oh, um, she's I just amazing. love her. 
Yeah, she is amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll link up that episode in the show notes as well with her. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that we look back on this decade and we say we got it right. We brought in government, private sector, and individuals, and in a concerted way, we all moved in the same direction to reduce waste and, re- and reduce our carbon footprint. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? My advice is do something and then tell someone about it. Do something you feel good about in terms of zero waste and then tell, even if it's your closest friend, tell someone about it. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? There are actually two facts I use all the time. One is um, if uh, food waste were a country, it would be ranked third behind the U.S. and China. That's really was eye-opening for me. And the second one is just such vivid imagery is by 2050, there's projected to be more plastic than fish in the ocean. I mean, we can all kind of imagine that and none of us want it. So <laughs> those are the two I say. And uh, Stephanie, where can people actually find you and Zero Waste DC? So I, my website, uh, and I have a blog on my website, is uh, zerowasteindc.com. And if anyone wants to email me with questions, it's stephanie at zerowasteindc.com. I'm also on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and Twitter at zerowasteindc. Oh, awesome. And I am going to link all of those up in the show notes so you crazy birds have easy access to find it, to make sure you've got the right link as well. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've been absolutely amazing guest and I'm sure crazy birds have learned quite a lot from you today. Thank you so much for having me and I enjoy following you (laughs) in what you're doing. I saw you just posted about closet uh, space and uh, not closet space, but minimizing your, your clothing. And I'm going to use your hanger technique. I decided after seeing that. That's so cool. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I just don't do that enough. I have decided and I'm going to start doing that after each season. And yeah, I, I have way more clothes than I would normally have because I'm like in between these weight stadiums. So I've got like my skinny clothes and the clothes for a little bit bigger Mariska and like they just filling basically the entire uh, closet. So it's a great time. (laughs) I know, but I've just decided I've given myself a deadline and everything that's not fitting. So if those skinny clothes that I would love to get into one day, if they're not fitting, then someone else is going to get them. I either need to fit in them or they are gone. So just to kind of get that closet back into shape as well. (laughs) Well, it's very inspiring. So thank you for that idea. You're most welcome. Well, thank you. I think that is a wrap and that's a wrap huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us you can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website the biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast if you have not already listened to all of the episodes You can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on 
Which one to listen to next? Maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.